Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, December 12th, year of our Lord, 2022. And this is episode number 78. Well, this is more of a curiosity than uh, some real thought-out ideas. Um, I was listening to a podcast, and they got a question from one of their listeners on, on what they thought about ghosts. You know, what's the biblical perspective on ghosts? And, um, I've thought about this before too. Like, like, I don't think we can just dismiss all the reports of people seeing a ghost. Like, I think it's, it's foolish to just say millions of people are all lying or, or just, you know, imagining things. I I think there's gotta be some semblance of reality when when you have that many people saying they've seen something or they've encountered something um there's some legitimacy to it so how do we think about that biblically like here's what i don't think it is people you know they say oh it's my dead grandma or or whatever no i don't think that's true at all um when we die, our spirits go to heaven or hell. Uh, that that's the biblical reality of the situation. We we uh, your spirit is the the invisible nature of self. There there's some sort of consciousness that exists within the body that activates the body that moves the body. The body is just a tent. It's just a shell. Like who you are is your thought life that 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 consciousness the the spirit or the soul or however you want to define it it exists in everybody and when you die that consciousness continues to exist what has died is your body your your tent your house has worn out the 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 vehicle that you exist in um, ceases to exist but you move on you you still exist um we are we are eternal you know god breathed life into us it's it's eternal life and so that eternal life either goes to heaven or hell uh jesus told the man on the cross when when he uh believed on the lord he said today you'll be with me in paradise that man's body died but his his spirit went on and the book of revelation talks about the spirits of the martyrs uh, dwelling in heaven, waiting for for justice, and um, you you think about like in the Old Testament when uh, the witch raised Samuel from the dead, his spirit had been somewhere. It was asleep a in 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 like, um, and that's that's pre cross. I think after the cross, I think you know today you'll be with me in paradise. Before the cross, the gates of heaven were not open. And so the spirits of believers went somewhere else. They went to Abraham's bosom or a place of rest or something, you know, to wait for the gates to be open. Uh, but the spirits of, of those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they, they go to hell. Um, think about Lazarus and the rich man. 
you know, the, the rich man descended into hell and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Um, again, that was pre-cross before Jesus opened the gates. So whatever people are seeing, whatever people are, are encountering um, that they call a ghost, it, it's not the souls of, of human beings that have lived and died. Now, the scriptures also talk about familiar spirits. And what is that? I, I'm driving, so I can't really look up what, what the the original Hebrew or Greek meaning of that is, familiar spirits. But familiar, that's where we get our term family. So I, I, think, there, I think there's demonic spirits that imitate family members. You know, we, we live, there's a spiritual world all around us. The scriptures make that clear. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, uh, but against spiritual powers and and principalities. And there's demonic forces. And all throughout the Gospels, we read about people possessed with demonic forces. And they're, they're invisible. There's an invisible world around us full of demons and angels. Angels are, are referred to as ministering spirits. So a spirit is, is like the wind. It's an invisible force. Again, it's a, it's a consciousness. It's an entity without a body. And so these things exist all around us. We read about Elijah and Elisha um, when they were surrounded by enemies and Elisha was scared. Elijah prayed that God would open his eyes so he could see the spiritual world. And Elisha's eyes were opened and he saw angels all around him on the mountains and and you know, it, it allevi- alleviated his fear uh, because he realized that the the angels that were present with them were much greater than than the f- the physical armies that had surrounded them. <clears throat> so we have category. There, there's there's invisible. You have a consciousness. You have a spirit that at death goes somewhere else. It no longer remains here on earth. It goes to heaven or hell, and there are demons and there are angels. All these are invisible entities, invisible forces. So what is a ghost? I I tend to believe that ghosts are these familiar spirits that the Bible speaks about. They're demonic powers. They're they're evil entities um, that imitate family members. So then the question would be, why would they do this? Well, the devil is a liar he wants to deceive. He wants to distract from God. He wants to, to lead people away from the truths of Scripture. So I think uh, uh, a familiar spirit, its purpose, because it, if, you're reading, if you're reading the Scriptures and, and you're coming to the conclusion, okay, when people die, die, they go to heaven or hell, and then all of a sudden you encounter a familiar spirit you, that you think is your grandma or your grandpa or your mom or your aunt or something, all of a sudden you go, well, wait a minute, maybe maybe they're not in hell, maybe they're not in heaven. So it causes doubt. It, ca- it causes skepticism on what the scriptures say. And I think that's exactly what the devil intends to do. I think his, his, his demonic forces, the fallen angels, imitate family members who have passed, who have passed on um, in order to discredit the truths of scriptures, in order to cause doubt in people. Um, so I personally, I, I think that's what a ghost is. When when you encounter a ghost, it's A, either it's outright demonic, it's a demon force, um, 
that's sent to, to scare you. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That That's from the devil. Or it's a demon um, pretending to be benevolent, pretending to be uh, a family member or a human being in order to discredit the scriptures. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the podcast I was listening to, they were trying to describe what a ghost is, and, and ultimately it's it's hard to, I don't, I don't think I can prove that ghosts are familiar spirits. What I can prove is they're not, it's not your family member. A ghost is, is not a human being, because human beings, when they die, it's over. You're going to, you're going to heaven or hell. That's it. You're not going to walk around on the earth waiting for something else. It's done. So whatever a ghost is, it's, it's not human. And the only other entities we know of are angels and demons. And angels do not deceive. Like any time in the scriptures when somebody encountered an angel, they were in human form. They're, they have the ability to take on human form. People saw them. They were, they were you know, looked like people. So I, I don't think it's an angel. An angel wouldn't deceive you. An angel wouldn't scare you. Um, I think that ghosts are demonic. Brother and I were just discussing something that made me uh, want to talk about uh, a topic that <clears throat> is very near and dear to me. Something that I'm passionate about. Something that I've uh, been a promoter of pretty much my entire Christian walk, something that I really emphasize um, to young believers, new believers, something that I just hammer home over and over again because I feel it's vitally important. Um, but what what brought it up is um, he mentioned to me that he was listening to a new album uh, from a Christian artist, a Christian musician that we both enjoy. And based on his lyrical content <clears throat> and what we know about him personally, it sounds like he is promoting um, a false teaching. It sounds like he, he's been led astray into, into false thinking, false doctrine. And um, so, so it got me thinking about the fact that there's so many people that, that do that, that people that I believe are genuine Christians, people that seem to be uh, truly born again and have the Spirit, um, but yet they, they get wrapped up in some sort of false teaching, false doctrine. And I personally believe that the reason that happens is, um, well, because, because they don't know the Scriptures themselves, they're susceptible to deception. They're, they're easily led astray. And what I mean by that is every Christian is responsible to know the Word of God themselves. Like, you, you must know what the Word of God says. You have to have it. You have to have a clear understanding, a clear biblical understanding of it. And unfortunately... Um, Many people, and I'm, I'm sure I've done this in the past before, as a matter of fact, I, I know I have, when they come across a perplexing idea or, or a perplexing doctrine, something that they're unsure of, 
rather than taking the time to study it out themselves and compare scripture with scripture and line upon line, and what I mean by that is exhausting the scriptures, rather than taking the time um, to look up everywhere in the Bible where that particular issue is talked about and, and to sit and figure it out for themselves, to sit and think it through with those verses and, and to prayerfully consider the idea and, and come up with the doctrine, to come up with what they believe. Rather than doing that, um, they take the easy way out, they take the lazy way out, and they run to their favorite teacher or, or their favorite preacher and say, well, let's see what so-and-so has to say about it. And when you do that, you're susceptible to be led astray. Um, people make mistakes. People make errors. Even the best of the, the teachers um, proclaim some things that aren't true. And, and because you don't have a foundation uh, of biblical understanding yourselves, you're susceptible to be led astray. And so I often phrase that in a way that I think confuses people because I often don't speak with a lot of clarity in my speech. I, ju I just talk off the top of my head. And a lot of times I use phrases or words that, that aren't really clear or I misuse things or I say things the wrong way. But I often proclaim this message by saying, you don't need a teacher. Like, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Word of God. You know, develop your own doctrine. You don't need a teacher. And people can be confused by that because there is a gift of teaching. The scriptures talk about um, the role of teachers and the gift of teaching. And, and so I guess I, I've failed to clarify exactly what I meant. It just kind of clicked in my head. What I mean by that, when I say you don't need a teacher, is that prior to going to anybody else to get their opinion or their teaching, you have to know what you believe. You, you have to sit with the Word of God and you have to develop the doctrine yourself. And, and you have to come to a, a solid understanding once you're fully persuaded, once you believe you know what the scriptures teach on a subject, once once that's solid in you, then you can go to others to get their opinions and their teachings um, and, and perhaps correct your thoughts, you know, fine-tune your thoughts, fine-tune your doctrine, but you'll have a you'll have a foundation that you can build off and that you can test things by. You'll have that plumb line of scriptural knowledge that you can then um, discern and, and wisely consider what's being taught to you and said. And you can dismiss uh, what, you, what you find doesn't line up with the scriptures. And, and you can accept what does and, and fine-tune your beliefs. Um, like I say, the problem is many people are, are just intellectually lazy and just run for the quick answer. Um, an idea that comes to mind one time is I, I was... I was struggling with the idea of eternal hell, uh, and and I was I was thinking it through like it, it didn't seem um, equitable. It it didn't sound balanced um, to to suffer eternal punishment for for temporal sins. And you know we we sin for 70, 80 years, whatever it is that we live, but then we suffer eternally. Like it didn't balance in my mind. And so I was thinking, you know, do, do the scriptures really teach that hell is eternal? Is is, is that possible? Could it be possible that the people are just misinterpreting it? That that hell is not necessarily eternal. And so rather than studying it out, I started to to gather up some sermons. I started to to look into all my favorite pastors and hear what they had to say. 
And the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks. Uh, you know, I had a firm conviction in the Spirit, a prompting from the Spirit, that I ought not to do that, that I ought to figure out what the Scriptures themselves say, what, what, what I read in the Scriptures. I ought to figure out what I believe I see in the Scriptures before I go and listen to anybody else about it. Um, because it, every false teaching, every heretical teaching, every false doctrine has convincing and persuasive arguments for it. Um, whether that's baptismal regeneration, or the charismatic gifts, or um, infant baptism, or um, you know, celebrating the Jewish holidays, whatever it is. Every, every um, deviation or personal conviction that people have has persuasive and seemingly wise arguments in favor of it. Um, if it didn't, people wouldn't fall for it. Um, but, but there are persuasive arguments in favor of it. And so if, if you don't know what you believe and, and you happen to stumble upon somebody who's teaching something false and it's, and, and it's persuasive and presented in a logical, reasonable fashion and it makes sense to your mind, um, there is a high probability that you're going to adopt that false teaching, that it's going to become a part of what you believe. And, and, and it's then ingrained in you and you will then read that idea into the scriptures as you read through the scriptures, because you'll have that already implanted in you. And um, that's why I'm so opposed to seminaries and, and biblical schools, because I think that young believers or new believers who are full of zeal and, and want to understand things, they go to these schools, um, which unfortunately um, a lot of them are infiltrated by Jesuits, um, and they got uh, Jesuit teachings, or, or they got um, false doctrines, things that are promoted that aren't true, um, but they go into it and they hear these arguments, they hear these things from scholars, from from uh, intellectual men who, who know what they're talking about and have their, their false ideas um, solidified um, in their minds and, with, and they have all the right arguments and the right things to say and, and they persuade people to believe that way. Um, so I... I personally am of the opinion that nobody should go to seminary, um, at least not until they, they know absolutely for sure what they believe on, on the scriptures, what they believe in the topics. A person who is born again ought to sit with the word of God and, and, and prayerfully consider the word and work through the scriptures for years, um, you know, and, and develop your doctrine to, develop your understanding of the word read the word and, and figure out what you believe it says you know what you believe it teaches on on things like baptism and 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 all the topics you know what did the scriptures say about laying on the hands what did the scriptures say about tongues what did the scriptures say about uh baptism what did the scriptures say um about liberty what it would a christian you know develop that in your mind solidify it in your mind you know Compare the scriptures to scriptures. Get you a concordance. Look up everywhere in the scriptures where that topic is talked about. Study the word. You know, compare scripture with scripture. Develop your thoughts. Prayerfully consider it. And, and once you're persuaded, once you believe that you know what the scriptures have to say about that topic, then you can go and hear what preachers have to say about it. And, and then you can go um, into a school 
Um, although because they're so corrupt, many of them, I wouldn't recommend that. But um, at least you then have that biblical foundation that you can test everything by and you can dismiss what's untrue. Um, if you don't have that biblical foundation, you're going to be led astray. And I believe that's what happened to this uh, Christian musician that I'm talking about. I, I believe that um, he didn't have a solid understanding of what he believed on this particular topic. And he went into a, a seminary where, where they believe a certain way. And they brought their persuasive arguments and convinced. And now, unfortunately, he's out promoting that idea. Excuse me, he's out promoting that idea. And I feel like it's that way with, with many, many, many Christians. The, the majority of the ones I've encountered, um, rather than taking the time to study the word themselves, uh, they, they listen uh, to the arguments and the teachings of others. And, and they become persuaded. And then it's almost impossible to correct. Uh, because that, that it's like wet cement when, when you get saved. You know, it's, it's, it's or, or uh, wet clay. It's moldable. It can, be, it can be manipulated and moved. But as it solidifies, as you grow, as you grasp onto things you believe, it becomes hardened in you and it becomes virtually impossible to correct that thinking. Um, and that's why we find great men of God holding to false ideas. You, you find uh, great men of God who've, who've got tremendous ministries and, and preach the gospel correctly, but then they believe in infant baptism or, or they believe wrong in eschatology or they believe wrong in some other area. It's, it's because they were taught that stuff and, and, and because it's not biblical, uh, it, false doctrines are not in the Bible. They're, they're, they're twistings and manipulatings of the Bible with those persuasive arguments. And, and so I'm, I'm of a firm belief that you need to sit, um, especially when, when, you're, when your clay is still moldable and wet, when you're, when you're young in the faith. Um, when, when, when you're still learning, you need to sit and spend countless hours with the word of God, studying it, developing your doctrine, finding out what it is you believe. And, and then you can go into these other things. Then you can start listening to other people and fine tuning your beliefs. Uh, but a lot of people have that backwards and they, they just run to a teacher, uh, to tell them what to believe. And, uh, it's tragic, and, and that's how false doctrines and false teachings spread. And like I say, it's, it's, once it's in you, it's, it's pretty hard to get it out of somebody. Um. This might be one of the more difficult things I've tried recording for the podcast, um, because... I really only have a question in my mind. I don't I don't have an understanding of it. I don't have an answer. I don't have very many thoughts on it. So, but I'm I'm hoping as I talk about it, I can develop some thoughts that that'll be worthy of of putting on the podcast, but I've been thinking about I was listening to a podcast it, or um a sermon uh, it's a really, really good sermon. I've, I've listened to it a few times. Um, Pastor John Piper, it's called Killing Sin. Um, 
the beginning of it is used, or not the beginning, but there's a snippet of the sermon used in a popular Christian rap um, song, um, Make War uh, by Tadashi and Flame. So if you've ever heard that song, um, you've heard the uh, Pastor Piper snippet where he talks about, um, he says, like, I hear so many Christians murmuring and complaining about their sin. Why am I this way? Make war. Is, 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 and then it goes into the song. But um, So if you've heard that before, you're familiar with it. The name of the, the actual sermon, I think, is called Killing Sin. Um, and it's a very good sermon, very worthwhile listening to. But it caused me to rethink about something, uh, something I think about quite frequently, that's actually quite disturbing. Um, so it's it's based on the premise. There's there's several verses. Um, I, I don't think I can quote them or name them directly, but you'll know which ones I'm talking about. Uh, there's it, it, um, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Um, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Um, mortify your uh, sinful desires, the desires of the flesh. The, the concept being presented there is that we are dead to sin. Um, we're we're supposed as Christians, we're supposed to be dead to sin. Uh, that old life, the sinful life, the flesh life, the Adam life that that we were born into, the life that desired and craved selfishness, desired and craved sinful behavior, um, that is supposed to be crucified. When we're born again, that is supposed to be put to death. It's it's dead, and now we're alive in Christ. We have a new life. That old flesh life is dead, and we now have a spiritual life, a life that is God-focused instead of self-focused, a life that desires and, and craves and yearns after holiness, after righteousness. And so the the concept of being dead to sin is pretty frustrating to me and concerning um, because as one brother put it, I, I certainly don't feel like I'm dead to sin. And, and that's my concern as well. Like if I'm dead to sin, why do I still sin? If my old nature has been crucified, if it's dead, why does it, why does it still, why do the, the, the habits and the desires still linger why do I get uh, an urge in the body to commit a sin? Or why, why do I think sinful thoughts? If I'm dead to it, shouldn't that be gone? And so that, that's what is often concerning. It's like, if, if I'm dead, I shouldn't feel those cravings. Like I was trying to think it through. I was like, okay, um, in the past, we were dead to righteousness, um, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we've been quickened. We've been made alive by the Spirit of Christ. We've been we've been reborn. Our dead spiritual life has been resurrected, and we're now new creations, new creatures. And so I was trying to think, like, okay, so what what did it mean 
to be dead to righteousness? What did it mean? What was my previous life like? And you think, okay, the spiritual life desires spiritual things. The word of God, prayer, fellowship and conversation about Christ, um, testifying about him, speaking about his word, craving obedience. And you think, okay, did, did any of those things exist in me when I was lost? And you think back and it's like, what, what did I think of the word of God? And I don't think I ever really gave thought to the word of God. But if I did, it would have seemed incredibly boring. I would have been like, you know, who in their right mind is going to sit and reread a book over and over and over again and just and spend all their time reading this old ancient book um, with, with commands to do and not do? Like, as a lost man, that would have seemed so foolish to me. It would have seemed so... Um, bizarre. It would have just seemed like a tremendous waste of time. I'd have been like, these, these are the most boring people that could ever exist to sit and, and read a book over and over again and to talk about that book. Like how boring is that? Like that, that would have been my mindset as a lost person and prayer, like the idea of prayer would have never, ever even occurred to me to, to think that I can talk to God like, I, I don't even think, I, I had a concept of a creator God. I, I knew something made the world. So that that existed in me. But the idea of a relationship with him or communication with him, that would have seemed utterly foolish to me. It would have seemed insane. I wouldn't even, it would have just, yeah, it would have just seemed so crazy to even attempt to communicate with God. And the idea of, hanging out with other Christians and talking about God, talking about the Bible. Like, again, that would have just seemed like a tremendous waste of time. It would have seemed boring. Um, and and righteousness, all these do's and don'ts, uh, like pride in me would have said, who, who is this God to tell me what to do? You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. So when I think about, like, and really, these things never even really occurred to me. Like, I didn't think about prayer or Bible or Christians or God. I, when I was lost, those thoughts never even occurred to me. I was, I was living in my own little world. I was living for me. I was seeking my pleasures. You know, my pleasures were, were sex and drugs and, and doing what I wanted to do. And, and so that, that's where my thoughts were all the time. I was always thinking about how can I get high or, or where can I find a woman? Or, you know, what, what, what can I do to entertain myself and bring comfort to myself? What can I do to please myself? Like the, the, so to be dead to righteousness is like, I, I was almost unaware of it. I was ignorant of it. I was blind to it. I was numb to it. There, there was there there was no desire or craving for it because I didn't even think about it. And so if that's what it means to be dead, like again, that's why it's so upsetting and concerning because if you flip that around now, now that we're born again, if we're supposed to be dead to sin, shouldn't that be our attitudes towards sin? Like like my my particular signature sins, um, you know, 
uh, just being transparent here, sexual lust, um, pride recently. There's been a lot of anger and discontent. Um, like, shouldn't I be numb to those things? Shouldn't they not even occur to me if I'm dead to them? So then why do they occur? If, and that that's what's upsetting because then it's like, am I really dead then? And Because that's how you know you're born again is if you're dead to sin. So how, how can I be dead to sin if I still, you know, I, I, I get an urge or desire to, to have sinful thoughts or lustful thoughts or, or where does that come from? Why am I aware of it? If, if being dead to sin is the same as what it was when I was lost, being dead to righteousness, then the, the correlation doesn't exist. It's not the same thing. It, there's still a lingering lust. It's like when I, when I go about my daily life, like if I exam, and when I talk about life, I'm not necessarily talking about actions because we are able to temper our, like I don't act on my sins all the time. It, I'm talking about a thought life because that, that's revealing the heart. And it, it, you know, the actions to me, like the actions are almost irrelevant, not irrelevant, but they're, they're secondary. They're, they're the, the reaction to the cause. They're not the cause. The cause is what's going on inside. The cause is the problem. You know, if, if you're, if your engine is rattling, the rattling is not the issue. There's something else going on that that's the cause. The rattle is, is, is the reaction. It's the symptom. So our, our sinful actions are symptoms of the, the sinful heart. And, and that is much more important. You know, Jesus emphasized that if you, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you're angry in your heart, you've committed murder. You know, it's, it's the thought life. That, that's where sin begins. That, that's where the poison is. The poison is in our hearts. And so if I examine my life, you know, on a daily basis from, from morning till night, I wake up and, and my first thoughts um, are, you know, I, 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 I thank God that I'm alive. I thank God that he's given me another day. So my first thoughts are directed towards him. Uh, but then there's like complaining and that's sin, complaining about soreness and stiff, stiffness and complaining about having to get up and go to work. And, um, and then, it, you know, as I'm, as I'm going throughout my day, I'm focusing my thoughts on spiritual things. I'm thinking about, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's thinking about my sin. I'm thinking, you know, why is this here? How do I combat it? How do I stop this? How do I, you know, I'm constantly trying to put up offenses to stop my sin from intruding on my life. And, um, on a, a, you know, occasionally a lustful thought comes in or, a, or an angry thought, a, a violent thought, um, or like I say, a complaining, grumbling thought. And that's directed at God. I'm complaining against his providence, wondering why he's put me in the position I'm in, you know, which is doubt. It's, it's not trusting him. Um, so these sinful things, if I'm supposed to be dead to them, why do they occur? Where do they come from? If, if my flesh is dead, where are these sinful things coming from then? Why are they still there? Why do I still have those thoughts? And, and like I say, it's very discouraging because 
I guess there, there's, you know, <clears throat> the discouraging thing is often you feel alone, you know. It's like, I don't know what other Christians are going through. There's not a whole lot of transparency. It, you know, it's always discouraging. You, you hear pastors and stuff get up in the pulpit and preach about a thing and tell you how you're supposed to live. Um, and and the, the image given there is that they are doing these things. They're preaching it. They're living it. And so you think it's possible. Why ain't I doing it? And so then you think, am I not a Christian? Why, why am I unable to do what these people seem to be able to do? You know, do, do other Christians deal with this or are they really, is being dead to sin, not having these thoughts, it, it not occurring to them, living their lives, thinking about righteousness, thinking about glory, thinking about, you know, wonderful things. Instead, I'm sitting here thinking about my wickedness. I'm thinking about my sinfulness and it's, 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 it's disheartening, you know, um, what does it mean to be, you think about, it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. I think that's what the verse says, something like that, reckon, which is like consider. Um, and if, if the flesh is crucified, why does it still have desires? If, if it's dead, how can it possibly be desiring things? So then it's like, do I really desire these things or is it just an impulse some sort of outside trigger. But that I think that would be giving credit too much to temptation. Tempta to me, temptations just reveal what's already in the heart. Like if, if, for instance, if I see a beautiful woman and, it, and you know, she's scantily dressed and it triggers an impure desire... Like, she's not the problem. The problem, she just revealed the problem. The problem is there's something in my heart that still desires wickedness. And so then I'm, I'm so then I, it immediately causes indwelling thoughts like, man, why? Why am I still dealing with this? Why, why do I still have this? If I'm dead to sin, if, I'm, if my flesh is crucified, why would that thought occur to me? You know, it's, it's, and there's this, there's, you try to get to the root of it. There's this weird duality of, of, you know, it's, is it really a desire or, you know, like Paul said in Romans seven, why do I do what I don't want to do? And why don't I do what I should do? There's this dual nature that's really just hard. It's, it's hard to define what the scriptures mean by dead to sin. Because if it means what I think it means, then I'm in danger. I'm in a I'm in a scary spot because if it means numb to, unaware, not desiring, not thinking about, I would not fit that description. I I do think about sinful things. You know, the, um I don't dwell on them like, you know, it's, but they come into the mind. They, these thoughts come in and, and stir up wicked desires in the heart, you know, um, just yesterday, my, my computer keyboard at work stopped working and just, I got so full of rage. I, I, 
I get so beyond furious. I get ridiculously, stupidly angry when when things don't work. You know, it just upsets me so much. And it's like, why this anger that's in my heart? If I'm dead, this shouldn't be happening. I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a concept that perplexes me, and and causes it it, it causes me to despair. It causes great sorrow. Um, if I'm dead to sin, then why does sin still have power? Why is it still alluring? Why am I still aware of it? Why do these thoughts come into my mind? I don't know. It's it's a a mystery. Uh, like I say, it's a depressing mystery. All right, so that's what I got for you guys this week. Um, as always, I truly appreciate you listening. I love you, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.